Hello and uh, thanks for joining us. This is the Rogers Roundtable. I'm Calvin Rogers, uh, joined alongside my cousin Selden Rogers, and uh, this week we're going to have our, our Aunt Jean uh, joining us on the show. So thank you, Aunt Jean, for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, first question that we like to ask everybody who's who comes on is where do you fall in the order of 13 uh, children? And then after you tell us that, can you tell us a little bit about your immediate family? I am number 10, like perfect number 10. That's me. And uh, I'll tell you about my immediate family. I'm married to Larry. Um, this April will be 38 years that we've been together. The thing I love most about him is that he loves God first, and I love that we can do ministry together. He has a, a job working for the train company as a project manager. I also love that he can um, fix anything. I love his work ethic. He's a workaholic. <laughs> he always has been, um, but I love that he can fix anything. Um, I'm really proud of him and the job that he, he does now, and I'll just tell you this, not to pat ourselves on the back or anything, but the company he works for last year, he um, did $18 million worth of work, and he made the company $3 million wow. out of that, and they did uh, give him a little bonus for that, for doing that, because he was Good high. He, he made the most last year, hope, so... Yeah. <laughs> Well, it wasn't a million dollars, but, you know. Yeah, something. It was something. Um, my firstborn, Andrew, will be 37 this April. Um, his job, he works for the National Fuel Gas as an electronic technician. Um, we're most proud of him for, for his time in the Army. Uh, he worked there for six and a half years, and we're really proud about that. What I like most about what he does is coach he coaches my grandkids, just like Larry coached the kids, the boys. You know, he coached um, soccer and baseball. And it's just really neat to see Andrew doing the same thing with my grandson, that he's willing to take the time because right. it is, it is, does take a lot of time. It's um, a lot of sacrifice. And I'm just glad. And it just, I don't know, warms my heart and makes me happy when I go to the game i don't just want to go watch my grandson i want to watch my son coach, coach as well so does he like it he seems to he seems to like it you know there's always frustration sure but yeah. he seems to, to deal really, with whatever i would else. say yes but um i think he likes it yeah. and i i know that Warren likes that he is helping him yeah. and then my daughter-in-law heather that he's married to um, she works for Next Tier Gas Company, and her title is Business Process Manager. I asked her about that. I don't know, you know, people go on to get their titles right. exactly right, so there you go. Um, but what I most like about her and what I see is um, what a wonderful job she does with my grandkids. And I'm impressed with um, the fact that she grows a big garden and wants fresh vegetables and things like that for them, and they raise their own meat. Hmm. Um, she grew up around animals. She loved horses, but she also showed um, animals at the Troy Fair. So she knows all about them. So they're raising, they've raised like beef and pigs and chickens and 
Um, they have goats, but not to eat. <laughs> so um, I, I just a, think it's great. I got a story about uh, Heather. Uh, first time, I don't know if it was the first time I ever saw her or what, but we were at the 4th of July or whatever at your house for a picnic. And I didn't really know who she was. I knew she was with Andrew. And we were, me and Selden were down there fishing at the pond. And I'm scared to death of touching a fish. You know, I just, I can't even think about touching one. And she had come down and was by the water. And I didn't know she was good with animals or whatever like that. And I reeled in a fish. And I'm like, I, don't, I want to take this thing off the hook. She grabs right a hold of the thing, rips the hook out of its mouth, toss it in there. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that, but. She's always been around animals, so yeah. she. Nobody really likes it. touching fish. No. <laughs> Disgusting. Well, my grandkids want to fish, and just a couple weeks ago, we found out we still had worms in the refrigerator that, uh. you know, were alive. So mm. we took them out there and sat on the dock and fishing, and Larry's saying, they're not going to catch anything because it's too cold, and the fish are all the way at the bottom, you know. But they tried. Mm. They they enjoyed casting and trying mm. to fish. They didn't catch anything. And so at the very end, we just took all the worms and threw them into the pot. <laughs> Gave him something to yeah. eat. A little snack. <laughs> yeah. My younger son is Chris. He just turned 30. He works for the same company Larry does, a uh, train company. But he works up in Albany, lives up near Albany. And his title is Equipment Project Manager. And what I like best about him is he does um, whatever he does with excellence. He goes above and beyond um, he gives more than 100%, and his bosses see that. When he first started up there, he was his title was service resource coordinator. And you're supposed to be in your job for two years before you can move up. And uh, he was in his job for a year, and then the job that he wanted to go to came available. And Larry said, go ahead, apply for it. And he's like, no, they're not going to hire me. You know, I've only been here one year. They're not going to. And he's like, just apply. I've seen enough people go ahead and your boss knows your work ethic so he applied and he got it mm -hmm. you know they know when they have somebody that's right. doing a good job, job. Yeah. Yeah. and he's salary but he works more than 40 hours a week he just does he wants to get the work done he just does it he goes above and beyond and we're really proud about that yeah. you know that he's like that so. Yeah. so another question that we asked everyone that's been on we want to get different perspectives on it is how would you describe your parents well my dad i describe as very quiet i think everybody will pretty much say the same thing about that mm -hmm. um, but he could fix anything he was a hard worker he had to be you know to feed 13 kids um I don't know if you knew it or I don't think anybody else said it but he left school in either 8th or ninth grade so he didn't graduate, mm. but he had to work to help support his family. And, but I believe, it's my own belief, if he finished um, school or went to college, I think he could have been an engineer or something. He was very smart, and he was good in the machine shop. I mean, he could do things so precise, and I just think he could have been an engineer, and you know. Mm. Um, I don't think anybody else mentioned that yeah. about him no. leaving school. No. <clears throat> Fun facts about him okay. that you may not know. He loved to do puzzles, mm -hmm. so so do I. I just I remember doing them with him, um, always a puzzle on the table, and he loved to do that. He loved to watch MASH, 
in war movies because he was in World War II. Mm -hmm. He would watch them, not say a word, you know, about any of it, but still watch movies to get, I don't know, just work through things, I guess, on his own. He loved to garden. Um, He used to build things. He would build, he built a kitchen table. He built a butcher block. He was building things with wood. Um, And I actually got that kitchen table that he had built for the kitchen and used it in my house for a long time. Uh, He used to bake, which I get that from him too. He was always making pies. He even made jelly rolls, things like that, Mm. that, you know, fancy stuff. Um, And he liked to watch football. So I will say, I got a little bit of information here. Uh, We called him George for a little while. I don't know if you knew. It was because of George Blanda. Yep. So... I looked it up, and he was 48 years old for his final game, this George Blanda, right? But he was old. But my, I think my dad used to, like, always watch him and always defend him and, you know, talk him up or whatever. And I, I think that's why, because he was an older player. So, you know, my dad liked that or whatever. And But I don't know how it all came about. Maybe your dads know better than I knew of how we started calling him George, but yeah, I think they were just talk. My dad would always talk about like in the backyard football or whatever, and then that's what they'd call him because he liked him because he was kind of the older okay. guy, and so so that's how and he even got when it. we're playing, you know, whoever we like, you know, we call ourselves <laughs> that. You know, oh, really? Just, I think that's just what guys yeah. do. I don't know, yeah. but maybe that's where it came from. So we called we called him George for the latter years of his life, I guess. So then my mom. Um, it was said that she was very outgoing. She was very outgoing. She could talk to anyone, and she would. She could just start a conversation. Uh, her last years when she was in the hospital, like whatever nurse was coming in, she knew all about that person. She could tell you all, you know, about that nurse's family and everything. She was just a very outgoing, talkative person and talked to everybody. Um, she befriended people who needed a friend. Uh, at her funeral, there was a couple people that talked about her and i knew that even when she her last two weeks of life i'll say it was one of the ladies birthdays and she had called her from the hospital bed that she was in in the living room to say happy birthday to you know and it was somebody who didn't have a lot of friends Hmm. um i even i even have a note here that she took in strays at times like there was people who were mentally unstable that she would take in for a little bit of time, um, live with us for a little while in Pennsylvania. And also, uh, once you talk to Uncle Robert, you'll see he had brought people to her house, maybe at Christmas time, to meet her and say, you know, they really need some place to stay for a little while. And I remember different um, men, guys that Robert had known that stayed with us for a couple of months till they didn't feel like they needed to anymore and then went back home. But it was... People having a hard time in life, right. and you know, she she reached out to those kind of people, and uh, she remembered everyone's birthday too, an anniversary. Anybody in the family, she could tell you, you know, at the drop of a hat, what their birthday was, how many years mm-hmm. they've been married, you know, usually figure out their age, all that kind of stuff. She just had it going on up in her mind. She knew it. <clears throat> it was important to her. The things that uh, she was involved in during my teen years um, were Bible studies, prayer meetings. 
Uh, I know she loved to drive and take trips. When we moved to Pennsylvania, there was a lot of trips back and forth to New Jersey all the time to either visit family or visit um, friends she knew and things like that. And she even took a, a trip to Texas once. I know she drove to Texas, and she was probably in her 50s, which I don't know as I do. I'd branch out and do that. I'm a homebody. She <laughs> went by, her, by herself then? <clears throat> she drove. She might have taken one person. She might have taken Kathy with her. I don't remember. And they might have went to go see Doni if Doni lived there while Fred was in the service or mm. something. So, But they, she just... You know, that was before GPS, okay? So you got paper maps and things like that. So she loved to drive, so it didn't bother her. She loved to listen to music. Um, she would do word puzzles. She liked to host parties, you know, at the house. Uh, one thing I really like is she had three close friends in New Jersey for years. And they were, like, inseparable. They even made a pin that they wore with each of their initials on it. And so one person would have it for a year, and then the next year, someone else would get to wear that pin for a year. They were just really close, and uh, I admire that. I think that, you know, I wish I had close friends like that, that I, would, I could, mm -hmm. you know, say that they've been my friend forever and mm -hmm. be able to do that. But one other thing, she loved Russell Stover candy. That was like her trademark of chocolate mm. that she would love to eat. Mm. So, seems like we're getting a lot of the same. Like your dad's real quiet, and your mom's outgoing, and dad's hardworking. Everybody seemed seems yeah. like they're saying the same thing about them. And, uh, but is there uh, <coughs> something that makes you think of them? Whether it be a smell, you know, food, sound, something that makes you think of either of your parents. When my dad worked uh, more than one job, the second job he had was at Revlon. And he would bring home Chanel Number no. Five perfume for her, in little bottles. And she, when she would go out, she would wear that. I don't like the smell of it at all, mm -hmm. but I can recognize it when I smell it today, right. and I think of her when mm -hmm. I smell it. If I, if someone's wearing it. Um, also, on a Saturday morning or during the summer, she would sing up the stairs, "Rise and Shine." Yeah. That song was one of her signature songs and i it wasn't always on key i'm sorry but <laughs> it wasn't and i i can say that because i can't carry a tune in a bucket either so <laughs> when i sang it to my kids you know i'm sure they thought the same exact thing but she sang sang that to get us up all the time and at christmas when we sing the 12 days of christmas and we count down every time you know we would all stop, and she would do her solo of Five Golden Ring. That was her part. I'm not singing it because I can't sing it, but she would belt <laughs> it out, you know, by herself, Five Golden Rings, and then we'd all join back in for the rest of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was going to be able to take that over after she passed, but mm -hmm. it didn't work out. We all just we all sang the song that Christmas, all of us together, and nobody stopped to let me say it. So I was just like, oh, well, they you know, it's all right. <laughs> But that was her. Those things remind me of her. And then my dad, a good flaky pie crust. When I make one or when I see one or somebody else makes one, it reminds me of him because he's the one that taught me. Um, and he used to whistle all the time. So 
if I hear somebody whistling, it'll make me think of him. It wasn't I don't think it was ever like really songs. It was just whistling. Hmm. And uh, he did have a good voice. Um, as a matter of fact, he had like a deep bass voice. And so when I sat next to him at Christmas, you know, I remember listening to him or at church, like when we were singing the hymns and stuff like that. He had just that deep voice. And so does Chris. So at church, when Chris would sing, and he would take that deep, it would just, if I closed my eyes, I thought it was my dad mm. singing. It would bring me back to that, that he has the same deep bass voice, um, and it was good. Uh, also, my dad was kind of funny about money, because I didn't have a whole lot, you know, whatever. But he, we always joked around with him. He had an eagle eye, you know, for money or whatever, and... Uh, one time we were coming home or going to New Jersey and we always stopped in Clark Summit at Burger King or somewhere, you know, go through the drive through and it was winter time. There was snow and it was plowed, but there was like snow drift on either side and we're going through the drive through and all of a sudden he stopped short because he thought he saw money in the snow bank. And mm. so we had to get out and get it. And it was, I wanted to bring it, but I couldn't find it. Mm. It's this little piece of a $10 bill. That was ripped off the corner of a dollar. And so you could see it was a 10. And that was in that snowbank. And he saw it somehow and stopped and thought it was a real... You know, we had to stop to get that. And here it was this little piece you, of ripped money. And you still have it. Well, I looked through my scrapbook and I didn't find it. But I got it somewhere. Yeah. This little piece of $10 bill. That, <laughs> so um, when my dad had a stroke and he was in the hospital, I came up to visit him one time and... Um, the stroke um, made him not be able to use like the right side of his body, mm-hmm. but they were working with him in physical therapy. So he was gaining some of that back. So when I went there, John was like, watch this guy, you know, and he put a hundred dollars on his belly, a hundred dollar bill or whatever. And his arm came right up to, <laughs> to grab that money so fast. And he's like, see, you know, he can, he'll move for money, you right. know? And uh, so it was just, just a thing about him. Like, if he had $2 in his pocket, he was hanging on to them, hmm. you know. Or if he thought he saw something, we were going to stop and get it. Dad would always say to us, and I don't know, I think he said it came from, you know, his dad, your dad, obviously. But, I like, just save your money, kid. Save your money, kid. You know, that's I can hear my dad saying it. I don't know if he got it from. Your dad was good about that. Yes, he Till was. Now. I, <laughs> we We would you get our allowance, and he was the only one that hung on to it. The rest of us bought stuff right away with it uh-huh. but he could hang james was disciplined he could hang on to that money he probably got it from my dad no, i didn't inherit that from him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think we asked uncle john this i don't know if we asked aunt kathy but what was it like at the dinner table growing up as a kid so at the dinner table he told you about how our plates were already made and i know that they were made and passed down so that there would be enough food to go around for everybody Mm -hmm. there wasn't usually seconds um there might have been you know a little bit of something if you wanted some but there was hardly ever seconds so the portions were controlled um by my parents to to pass it out when there was brussels sprouts or something there might have been seconds (laughs) something that nobody liked right we still had to eat it Uh, But my favorite thing, and it was in later years that they did this. It was up in Pennsylvania that they did it. Um, I love that we each took turns 
they had as kids just open the Bible anywhere and just read from the Bible. And then we would pray after that. So even, you know, you thought about that when you were going to have somebody come over to your house because that was going to happen whether mm. someone else was there or not. And you're like, well, this is what we do at the supper table. So, yeah. you know, not everybody, um, everybody's families are the same. And a lot of them, I don't even think, sat down at the table to eat all at mm. once you know, with their parents and things like that. So, I don't know, I was a little, I guess I was kind of embarrassed, like, well, this is what we do and we have to do it, so, mm-hmm. you know. But I got over that um, quick enough because I wanted to do that with my own kids. So for a while we read through the, the children's Bible. We would have a chapter that we read, and the particular Bible I had would give, like, um history in it too and there was pictures and you know so it was interesting for for the kids and then we put everybody in the family's name in a cup and we would just pull one name out and we would pray for that person that night so i thought that was a really good my most favorite uh thing that about suppers that i remember my mother was the one um carrying the conversation i remember like once or twice that she wasn't there at supper table for supper time and we all sat there in like silence because (laughs) you know we really realized she's the one making all the conversation because she was outgoing and talkative and Mm -hmm. the rest of us weren't (laughs) she took that trip to texas and uh, nobody knew what to do with themselves right (laughs) Right. (laughs) so just summarize a little bit um if you can about um your childhood Growing up with 12 siblings, obviously, and then moving from, you know, New Jersey to Pennsylvania and a little bit into your high school years, if you can. Okay, well, I think it it was said maybe by John that um, there was always enough of us to be able to play games. So I remember going out in the yard and playing Red Rover. I don't know if you know what that is, that game. Mm -hmm. You had two lines and you all hold hands. So one person is called from one line and they have to run as hard as they can and break through Mm. two people's hands. And if they break through, um, they can go back to the other side. And if they didn't break through, they had to become part of this chain and whoever had the most at the end of the game wins. But we always had enough for two teams to be able to do that. Um, We had enough to play kickball in, in a side yard in New Jersey. And we were always riding bikes, um, You know, we were kind of crazy with that, too. We would ride around the block, and there was one really steep hill. And I remember one time coming down there with Richard and, or you know, a couple of them, and coming around the corner so fast coming down there, and here's a car that was coming around, and I just shut my eyes. (laughs) So somehow when I opened them, I was still on the road, and I was, you know, headed up the road and whatever, but it was, we had a lot of fun doing that. Um, We always went to the park like John said, and there would be the 5 o'clock whistle. So we knew when to get home because the park was quite far away. If we were near the house, there was a dinner bell. My mother rang out the back door, and we could hear Mm -hmm. the dinner bell and know that we were supposed to get home at that time. We had chores. There was enough um, kids in the house and enough... uh, mess mess going on and different things we all had our chores so saturday was the day we had to clean you know that was when the vacuuming and the dusting and all that stuff got done but all through the week there was 
um, laundry and there was dishes and we had a dish schedule that had to be made out and taped to the inside of the cupboard. So we all knew when it was our turn and not trying to get out of it and to keep everything straight and, and orderly because my mother did like an orderly home. So, um, we had all that. I'll, I'll say as the 10th one that my older siblings to me felt more like aunts and uncles growing up. There's 15 years between me and Aunt Kathy. And so by the time I knew anything, she was like an aunt to me. So mm. Kathy, Timmy, uh, Ruth, Joan, and Robert were more like aunts and uncles. I wasn't close at all to any of them. Mm. Dennis might even be up in there. He's six years older than I am. Um, so when I'm 10 and he's 16, you know, he doesn't have time for me. I'm like that buzzing fly that's annoying, you know. <laughs> So they were more aunts and uncles. Um, we moved up from New Jersey to Pennsylvania when I was in sixth grade. I remember thinking how I couldn't say that I had a friend since kindergarten. And I don't know why that mattered so much to me, but it did. Like, I won't have any friends that I've known all my life. Mm -hmm. And it was really true. We tried to stay connected to some that were in New Jersey. And we went back and visited one time. And... They made fun of our accent, you know, and it was it was like an awkward time. So we just really didn't stay friends. Hmm. But um, my dad used to cut our hair. And, well, who wants to take 13 kids to have their hair done all the time, you know? So he, he had a haircut and Especially now, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So he would do it, but he, he did one cut for everybody yeah. and my hair was so short all the time i remember when we moved up to pennsylvania um we didn't have uniforms to wear anymore because i wasn't in the catholic school so mm -hmm. i had like mark and john's hand-me-downs some <laughs> and my hair was really short and my name was Jean. there was a girl in my class that for a whole week thought i was a boy okay so mm -hmm. It wasn't until I was in my early teens that I thought, you know what, I'm going to start learning how to cut my own hair because uh, I would beg him to leave enough for the curling iron and there would be <laughs> barely enough hair for the curling iron. I mean, he he would do a good job. I'm not saying it was butchered or anything like that. It was just way too short for me. Yeah. So. Um, He's yeah. like, look, I don't want to be cutting this every, you know. Well, growing up, it was. Cut this once a year. It was the same thing with me and Robert. My dad would just get the buzzers out. He'd be like, all right, you're both getting buzzed down. <laughs> I remember crying. I was like, no, just give me yeah, a real haircut, please. <laughs> yeah, but that was the same thing. Me and Robert both just get in the bathroom, get the buzzers out. <laughs> So I learned how to cut my own hair. For, I did cut my own hair for a long time. Also, when I moved up in sixth grade, because we'd been going to the Catholic school, uh, I would say they were more advanced than um, the schools up here. So I, like, breezed through the rest of the year up here because I knew mm -hmm. it all. I had already been taught it. Mm -hmm. um, so sixth grade to me was, was pretty simple. I loved math. That was my favorite subject. Um, I wanted to be a math teacher, and I loved it all the way up through until I hit geometry, and I couldn't make heads or tails of geometry, so. That was the end of that. <laughs> that was the end of that. Um, my, teen, my teen years, I fought with my mom. I'll just say it. I'll be real. She and I did not get along. We would have a disagreement or argument, and I would just go to my room and pout, and I would write poetry. <laughs> 
that's how I would get over it. The poem would start out mad, you know, and whatever, and then I would be thinking about it and reflecting on it, and it would somehow turn out okay at the end of it, and I would be calmed down, and I'd be okay. But I say that they were very strict, and I obeyed. I did. Like, they gave me a curfew. I would be home at that curfew. You know, to give me the chores to do, I would do them. But the things that I didn't agree with, like like the student who the teacher says, sit down, and the kid says, I'm sitting, my body is sitting, but in my mind, I'm still standing. Hmm. That was me. Hmm. I was still rebellious, which was wrong, but I didn't agree with anything, any rules that they had. I didn't hmm. like, I didn't agree, and we did not get along. I couldn't wait to move out, so I did when I was 18. I had a job, and I so I shared an apartment with a co-worker. Um, and my mom said to me, oh, we can be friends now. You know, you've moved out and you're whatever. And I thought, no, we weren't friends while I was living at home. What makes you think we're going to be friends now? Mm-hmm. That's just how I felt. Mm-hmm. I was, I had a lot of anger still. So um, when I when I got married to Larry, we were married for three years. Um, we were going to buy a house. So I asked my mom if we could live with her for three months. That's how long it was supposed to be for. And then we would move into the house we were buying. And things fell through with that. So we were living with her. It wasn't going to be just three months. That fell through. And um, so we bought property. We had a basement built. And then we had a modular put on. So it took a year's Mm -hmm. time um, that we lived with her. But I really believe God used that time to heal our relationship. And ever since then, we were able to come to terms with everything, and we our relationship was a lot closer. So I'm glad. And um, I'll talk about my early job history. Uh, my very first job, well, like Kathy, and I don't know if John said it, we kind of hoped we would get our summer off after... We graduated, mm-hmm. and uh, for some reason, my mother said to me, no, you need to get a job right away. As soon as you're done school, get look, get looking for a job. And I was like, mm, this isn't fair. Nobody else had to, but okay. <clears throat> and it isn't like today where you can find things online or there was actually wanted mm-hmm. job in the paper. There was nothing. So you had to go to different places and put an application in and then go back and you know, do you have any openings or whatever? It was a long, drawn-out process anyway. <clears throat> but I put it, I put applications in all over town, and I didn't get any anybody calling me or any openings. or I didn't hear of anything. And so it was getting to be towards the end of the summer, which I was glad I had my summer off. But it was getting to be towards the end of the summer, and my mother was still, you know, pressuring me. And so I thought, as a last resort, I would apply at Martha Lloyd. Mm-hmm. which is you know a facility that has um, mentally handicapped women and I really didn't feel like it was my gifting but I applied there anyway mm-hmm. and they called me like the next day and I was like oh man <laughs> but I was going to be an assistant to what they called the house mother and I forget how many women were actually in this particular house it could have been you know a dozen um, but it was a part-time job so I worked in the morning from 6.30 to 8.30 to get the women ready for school. And then I worked weekend. And 
the very next week after I started, I got a call from Edgewood's, which was a little restaurant that had breakfast and lunch. So you would be short order cook and the waitress and the dishwasher. And they also, they made um, homemade ice cream. So we also dipped ice cream and that kind of thing. So I had two part-time jobs that September and I had to pay rent. I, when I first got the job at Martha Lloyd, my rent was $20. Um, but when I had two part-time jobs, it only went up to 25 which I was glad of. Um, but once you had a job, you got taken off the dish schedule, which mm. was great. You didn't have to do chores or whatever, but you had to pay. And <clears throat> I wrote it down because you, you asked the other ones, like, how much you made or, you know, things like that. And for those four months, September... October, November, December, two part-time jobs. I made $1,600 for that year. So if I worked the full year, it would have been just under 5000 Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> My next job, though, was a little more exciting but kind of scary. I don't know if you knew that I worked for Simpson Spalding and I sold cars. No, I didn't. No. I did that for a year. I didn't sell very many cars. <laughs> um, I remember Dennis buying a... I used truck when I worked there, and I also remember Kathy and Steve ordered a car, so they came in and picked all that they wanted. So there was two vehicles that I sold. Mm -hmm. Maybe out of the whole year, I sold thirteen vehicles in a year. <laughs> one, so, a <laughs> one a month. One a month. I worked on a dog farm, take care of puppies. Mm. Uh, then I moved to New Jersey, and I worked as a receptionist in an HMO, which was healthcare. When we moved back up, I worked for eye doctors as a receptionist. Um, right after I had Andrew and I had to go back to work, I, I worked at Sip and Dip. I don't know if you know that place. They had um, donuts. They made donuts in the back, and so I filled the donuts. So I would go in at like 1.30 or 2 in the morning, fill the donuts, and work till like 6.30 and hmm. go home. And that was the point in time that um, Kathy helped out with Andrew watching Andrew and she had Michael and they were really little because Larry had to go to work before I was done and came back so it was just a couple hours that in the mornings that she would watch both of them but it was hard because it's hard working 1 30 in the morning and then coming home and then you've got you know I think Andrew was like eight months try to sleep when he sleeps try to go to bed early it was just it was a mess so after that, I worked for a Dr. Danko. He was a chiropractor as a receptionist. And then I babysat because I wanted to be home with my kids. Hmm. So I babysat a few different other kids. Um, and then when they were in school, there was a, a time that Aunt Amy had a consignment shop over in Sayre. And so I worked for her just a couple days a week. And then after that, well, I had breast cancer. So I didn't work anywhere for a little while. And then uh, I got a job working for Dr. Husband as a receptionist. And then after that, I um, worked in the school cafeteria for mm. a lot of years. And when I left there, it was to then watch my grandkids. So that's mm -hmm. what I'm still doing. Mm. I imagine that's probably your favorite <clears throat> yeah. job that you've had, right? Yeah, it is. It's yeah. the best one. <clears throat> um, you mentioned before when you were that you wanted to be a math teacher. 
like after that, you know, you realize not going to do that. Was there something else you wanted to be or did you not mind doing all these different jobs or? I really didn't have anything I wanted to be, and I was really disillusioned with geometry. I, like, I couldn't make, and I'm like, you can't teach anybody math, you know? <clears throat> well, and then, maybe you could have started, you know, second, third grade math. <laughs> <laughs> but even my, my mother wasn't like, oh, here, let me help you fill out these papers to go to college. It was like, yeah. I, there was no help with that. I didn't know what to do. Huh. So, but you know, I believe that is a gift that I have, and it doesn't just get squelched. So even though I didn't become a math teacher, I want you to know that I've taught small groups. I've taught Bible studies. I teach at women's retreats mm-hmm. twice a year. I even um, taught baseball church, was what they call it, in Nicaragua mm-hmm. to a lot of kids. And I also just taught at a conference in Nicaragua that we just um, did the beginning of November. We went down and had a women's conference, and there were 60 women that came, and mm-hmm. I had a portion of it to teach. So <clears throat> I still still am, teaching. I'm teaching, yeah. and I have all my life. Just not the not math. math. Just not math. <laughs> yeah. uh, you kind of touched on some traditions growing up around the dinner table or whatever, but did you have a favorite tradition growing up? Well, I say that um, <clears throat> my mother made every holiday special. There was always something that she did that I tried to then do with my own kids. So let's say like at um, Valentine, even though you you exchange valentines with your classmates and stuff. Um, at the supper table, there would always be like a chocolate for us and a card from my mother or father um, for valentines. And then Easter, um, just doing the eggs and hiding the eggs and the baskets and that stuff. We still hide the baskets. If we make one for Chris, we're still hiding it somewhere, and he's almost 30. <laughs> but we, I remember um, in New Jersey, you know, her boiling 12 dozen eggs so that we'd at least have enough to feel like we got to participate and make you know do some eggs so i did them with my kids and i do them with the grandkids even though heather still does her own i still the day that they're there i'm like okay let's do some eggs you know (laughs) and then fourth of july family picnic was always a tradition traditional thing we went to aunt ruthie's and then you know richard carried it on um, Thanksgiving, the cooking and the baking, those traditions. I still want to bake the pies and, you know, stuff for our Thanksgiving. Um, Christmas time, we always hung our stocking before going to bed. We had the pictures on the stairs of, you know, oldest to youngest. That's mm-hmm. why I like to do that Christmas Eve. Um, we sang carols. And when we were in New Jersey and it was, you know, they were going to the Catholic Church, they had a blessing for the tree written on a paper and we would start off christmas eve with my dad reading the blessing for the tree and then using holy water and sprinkling it on the tree i mean i just remember those things and we don't do that but the thing that we still do is even back when i was little the food was all finger foods but fondue was made way even way back then there was cheese fondue but there was also uh, the meat fondue, we would do the steak one with, you boil it in the oil that was in the fondue pot, you know, and mm-hmm. then there was a sauce to put over it, which we don't do that one, but we still do the cheese fondue, and that's, we're talking 60 years. Mm-hmm. That fondue has been there at 
Christmas Eve. So we asked the other ones this question also, but which sibling were you closest to growing up? Well, I said before that the older ones were more like aunt and uncles, so I wasn't very close at all. So it would have to be my younger siblings, like from Amy, James, Richard, me, Lisa. I would say I was closest to and did things with. Um, We had different personalities, so we weren't, I mean, we did stuff, but we're very different personalities. So I wouldn't say we were like best friends. You know, I I don't know how else to say it, but um, we were close and we did things together like Richard and James whenever they got on their, you know, loving football. So the beginning of football season, we'd all have to pick a team. I mean, I had to pick a team. So I picked Vikings because, you know, they're purple. (laughs) Cool color. (laughs) Yeah. And I do remember Fran Tarkenton was... uh, the quarterback, but that's all I know. I know <laughs> nothing else about it, but we had to pick these teams, and, you know, he followed it every week, and he would write down who won and who lost, and he probably still does that kind of thing. I don't know if he does that kind of thing, but he... Got on your phone now. You don't need to write it down. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, John talked about, you know, going out and playing football with Richard and James in the yard. Well, sometimes Lisa and I were made to go out there and play football, too, which... You know, he called the plays, John called the plays, and the rest of us would have to do it. And, of course, I didn't know what I was doing, so I felt like I was just getting yelled at for doing the wrong thing <laughs> while we were playing football. But we had to do that. Um, and Lisa and I are 18 months apart, so we always had a room together. We always, you know, did things together. But she, her personality is different. She likes to read and things, and I don't know. I guess I'm just more... Um, I look at myself as being more loud. She's quiet. Mm-hmm. She's she likes to read. She likes, you know, that kind of stuff. So she always liked to do whatever I wanted to do. Um, but the thing I really didn't like was, you know, I would argue with my mom, and she would um, take my mom's side for, you know, <laughs> whatever the argument was about, and I would be like, really, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Help me out here. Yeah. So I need somebody on my side, but nobody was. So apparently I was wrong. Um, but I will say, Jurianne is, she's uh, five years older than me. But she always gave me advice. And she would talk to me about the things that I feel like I couldn't talk to my mom about. Um, or maybe things that a parent should talk to you about. I always, I would ask her, you know, deep questions. And she would always take the time and answer me and um, and give me advice when I was younger. And so I went to her with that kind of stuff. So, but the rest of them, I just really, I wasn't close. Oh, Larry, want me to tell the story about uh, Richard? Whenever we would get our um, allowance, mm-hmm. you know, I used to make him go to the store and get me my snacks and stuff like that, right? And we were going to get in trouble because my parents didn't want us doing that kind of thing. But um, we would sneak out the window and down the roof, get on the bike, and I'd make him go to Jim Chevron (laughs) that had the snacks, you know, and get them and come back and throw them up onto the roof so I could pull them into my window and do that kind of stuff. So he did that kind of stuff for me. So, you know. I mean, have have you gotten closer to the older ones now that you're a little older than you used to be? I'm sure you don't see them like aunt and uncles now. Or maybe you do. I don't know. No, I I think I've gotten to know them better. Um, For a while there, we were having sisters lunch. 
And even before the five of us, like after Amy passed, we decided we wanted to have sisters lunch so um, we could still keep in touch. And But even before that, um, like when we were first married, I would say, Amy, Elisa, and I used to go out and have supper, maybe Red Lobster or someplace or whatever, just probably a couple times a year we would go out and just kind of catch up um, and make sure we stayed connected. So I think that makes you bond more when you can um, talk and and share stuff. Lisa and Amy were more uh, closer, I would say, in personality-wise. And with her husbands, they would have a lot to talk about and similarities and things like that. And I, I didn't have that with Larry. He wasn't the same as their husbands or whatever. But <laughs> I do cherish those times that we were able to, to go out to a restaurant and just be able to talk and catch up and things like that. So um, I'm close with Dennis now. He's, you know, right up the hill. Hmm. So I see him more often and I talk to him more often. Yeah. Um, Robert will be staying with me next weekend or whenever he comes up to yeah. do whatever. So He said that uh, he said he was going to get a hold of you to hopefully stay the night. He said, look, I can come up there. I don't care if I got to stay at the Troy Motel. I said, well, well. <laughs> Let's yeah. try not to get you in the Troy Motel, you know. <laughs> He's Hopefully, stay. so I think that you know, I get along with all of them, and I'm close at different times to different ones. I guess I should yeah. say it like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uncle John shared the motorcycle accident story with us, and uh, obviously you were on the bike <laughs> with him. So, can you give us your side of the story was... with that? First, I want to say something about a comment that was made in the in the comments after uh, John's podcast. Oh. So Robert said, Larry, get the bike. Yep. <laughs> and you guys talked about it. I don't know if you know, but I want you to know. Larry, when we got married, Larry had a Yamaha 650. Okay. When we were first married. And he got rid of it by his own choosing because I wouldn't ride it with him. Mm. Now, you don't have your wife riding with you, right? You I ride do, by yeah. yourself I all the time. Not all the time, no, but he could have wrote he could have wrote it by himself. Yeah. He could be hanging, you know, with you guys riding, but he chose to get rid of it. I wanna say that. He chose to get rid of it. So, so it's his own fault. He could get a bike now if he wanted. We all know he could get a bike if he wanted, but I strongly <clears throat> discourage just because I don't like motorcycles. Hmm. I I didn't like it when my father bought it. I didn't ever want to ride it. There was one day that he was home for lunch and was going to go back to work. And I don't know if it was raining. So I would have normally walked to work when I didn't have a vehicle um, down to Edgewoods. And he was going to give me a ride on the motorcycle because it was going to, he was going to give me a ride and then go to work back from lunch. So I was like, I guess I can do this. I don't know. All right. I'll take a ride down to Edgewoods. And I did. But I didn't like it. (laughs) Even then, I didn't want to. But. John John told pretty much the whole story. Um, we did go visit friends that day, and I thought, okay, I can do this. It'll be all right. But it had rained, and so the road was wet, and there was a lot of rock on the side that we were going too fast for, and we started to go off. And I I know he said it, but I didn't know if you understood what he was what he was saying that you know I had to be I must have been plucked off. Yeah. So I really believe that was God and that he took me off there because the bike had a backrest. Hmm. 
and we were, right. you know. Going down sideways. I did have, I think he said, you know, I hurt my thumb or I don't remember what he said. But I also had like, um, you know, where my my back had ridden on the ground for a little while. So my Shred. shirt had yeah. shred in just one little spot in the back. Mm-hmm. and um, But he held the front of the handlebars with the brakes. So when the front wheel hit, mm-hmm. you know, that's why he ended up the way he did and the bike was down further because I I don't know if they teach you that when you're riding motorcycles you know don't I have no idea don't brake well I'm telling you don't (laughs) hang on to the brakes because then as soon as the front wheel hits and it's stopped it's just going to go like that and that's what happened and so when I I didn't even see his leg I didn't see anything I just he was just like you alright and I said yeah and he's like I think you should go get help so I didn't see his leg, so I just, I was in shock, though, mm-hmm. you know. So I started running down the road. You've been on where that corner is, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So I was running down the road, and I saw the first house was up a little hill. And I was like, I can't make it up there. Mm-hmm. I knew my legs were not going to take me because they were like rubber. Mm-hmm. And the second house was a little bit level with the road, but down a little bit further. So I went to the second house to go get help because I knew I couldn't make it up that hill. And I'm knocking on the door, and the lady came, and she just looked at me like she was horrified. So I must have had some kind of dirt or, you know, something on me that she's just like, oh, what? What is a ghost? (laughs) So I brought her back up there. um, And then the ambulance came because they called it from the house, and then we went up. And um, when the ambulance came, they told me to go sit in, in there and wait and they had, you know, the thing that they were, the thing they were going to put John on to carry him to the ambulance. It was down the road just a little ways because you couldn't just park right there on that corner. Right. So they had to put his leg in an air cast to stabilize it, to bring him down. And I was just sitting in the in the ambulance, and I heard him yell. Hmm. And I'll never forget that. I mean, the pain that he was in when they did that. I don't know if he remembers. <laughs> he should remember, but I don't know if he <laughs> kind of blocked that out or something. But I'll never forget his yell, scream um, when they did that. So, yeah. You'd think if he remembered that, he might not get another bike. But <laughs> You'd think. Well, he said, he, he said after his leg healed, he jumped right back on another yeah, bike. A year later or whatever. Yeah. Went back on your dad's year in the day. I was like, why is your dad letting you get on another bike? I bet you he asked me if I would ride with him that day. (laughs) You know, there was just like no zero. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So you didn't even like it before the accident? No, I didn't. You really didn't like it after. (laughs) Did you ever get on another one after that or no? I rode with Uncle Larry Hmm. on the East Smithfield Road. He told me he was going to go slow. It's 45 miles an hour. He says he went 45 miles an hour. I know he went 60. (laughs) So no, I didn't. I didn't enjoy that uh-huh. at all. I just. I mean, when you're it. worried the whole time, you probably can't enjoy. You can't it. relax. You can't yeah. enjoy it. You can't like if he's gonna lean with the way that you're. Tra- no, I'm like this. Okay, yeah, you're so. not supposed to lean the opposite way. No, but <laughs> that was just. Madeline you know. always does that when she's riding with me, and I'm like, you, you can't keep leaning that way. <laughs> but yeah, you know, you're worried the whole time. You're like, man, a squirrel could run out, and I could die. I, no I wasn't even thinking about those things, but now I will. <laughs> Deer. I mean, Anything. look where we live. We're Stick. driving through the woods. Right? Yeah. 
Who knows? Anyway. <laughs> uh, so we did the same thing with everybody else. We had people ask questions on Facebook. So we're going to get into a couple of those questions. So our cousin Kay asks, how did you and Uncle Larry meet? So officially, after I graduated and I didn't have a boyfriend, I was like, <clears throat> where am I going to find somebody in this town? Lisa used to go to the skating rink, and she was still going to the skating rink. She's like, come on, you know, come to the skating rink. So I went to the skating rink just to meet someone. Um, and Larry was there, and that's where I met him, was at Troy Skateland. Um, but he, the very first time that I saw him, and we skated and, and talked, he was telling me that that wasn't the first time that we met. So he starts telling me about a story of where he first saw me. And I was like, oh, man, there was a football game when I was in school and I had my license. And a friend of mine drove down from Millerton and she borrowed her dad's car and it was standard. So we wanted to go to the dance afterwards. And she thought I could drive standard better than her. But couldn't. <laughs> I got in the driver's seat, and at the time, across from, like, looking at the grandstands, right, but in that parking lot, there was mm -hmm. a fence. So, a shorter fence, I, will, I guess I'll say. Um, and there was a little incline, so she had pulled in. So I had to put this thing in reverse and try to back out. Now and with roll the forward into the fence. But I did. Mm -hmm. I kept stalling and rolling forward, stalling, rolling forward. So I'm pushing the fence a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So I see out of the corner of my eye, these guys get out of this truck next to me and they come over. So I roll the window down and this guy's like, you need some help? And I looked at him, I'm like, I know you. It was a boy I'd met in East Smithfield at a youth group. His name was Alston. And so I was like, no, I don't need any help because, you know, I'm getting out of here and this guy's not going to do it for me. And nope, don't need your help or whatever. The other guy went to the other window and was talking as well but i didn't know who he was i never saw him before so they got back in their truck and i got the car out of there and then they're following us so i was like i don't want them to come to the dance with us you know i didn't really like that guy so we tried to lose them right we're driving all back rows of troy or whatever not that i was gonna actually lose them because you know what did i but i'm driving standard and i'm driving all over the place badly right <laughs> So unbeknownst to me, Larry was the other guy that was there. And he said to his friend, look, she can't even drive. It's not even worth it. Let's just go home. <laughs> so they, they left. I thought I lost them, right? They left and we went to the dance and they didn't, they didn't come to the dance. So I didn't meet him or get to know who he was until I saw him at the skating rink. And then he's telling me. Yeah, I was there the night you were trying to, you know, mow down that fence with the, <laughs> with the car and tell me about it. And I'm like, oh. So. Um, my wife, Adriana, asks, uh, can you share a few missions trip stories? I don't know how many missions trips you've been on, but. I've only been on four. Four. Um, Larry went for a lot of years before me, and he was always praying that I would go on one, but I didn't have any desire to do that at all i didn't want to go out of the country i didn't i didn't want to and i even had a dream about it one time the people that were taking these groups of people to nicaragua in my dream 
the woman said, oh, you don't have to go, Jean. And I was like, so relieved. And I woke up and I said to her, you told me in my dream I didn't have to go. And she goes, that had to be a dream because I would never tell you that. You should, you should go on a mission trip. So when I finally felt, okay, maybe I should go on a mission trip with Larry, um, I had to get, you had to get a passport. I didn't have one. So I went to, to get my passport and they told me I had... Um, the birth certificate didn't have my parents' names on it, so I needed a different birth certificate. So I had to fill out forms and write to New Jersey and for them to send it to me. So I was like, yes, it's not going to get here in time, so I'm going to do all this paperwork and, you know, I'll be safe. I won't have to go. So I filled out the paperwork and they're telling me it could be, you know, four to 12 weeks before you get it back. And I was like, yeah, I'm okay with that, you know. <laughs> well, 10 days later. There, it there is. was that birth certificate in the mail. I'm like, are you what? kidding me? That's that's how I was. So then I was like, well, I still have to get a passport, so maybe I won't have enough time to get the passport, you know. So I'll go. So you had to make an appointment at the post office, and I went down to the post office on a Saturday, and I said, okay, I want to set up an appointment for you know to get a po- passport. And the guy's like, we're doing them today. We got time right today. I'm like. Well, I don't have my birth certificate or anything with it. Because you don't live very far away. Because they know your address, right? <laughs> you don't live very far away. Go get it. So I'm calling Larry. And I said, this guy said he can do it right today. If you can bring me whatever, you know, I was I didn't even want to. But okay. So Larry brought it right down. Filled everything out. And they're telling me it could take up to 12 weeks, you know. So I thought, it better, you know. 11 days later, I have my passport. Mm-hmm. 21 days, I get both documents back. I'm like, okay, God. Guess I'm going. Guess I guess I'm going. Go on this mission trip you want enough. me to go. So mm-hmm. the thing I was most nervous about was flying. I had flown before, but to me, each time I flew, well, I didn't like it. Just like on a roller coaster. You're okay the first time to go back on. You're like, mm, that's that's me. So I would be more afraid each time going on a roller coaster. Well, that's how I felt on a plane. Each time it's like, I'm more afraid to get on this plane. So when I prayed about it for that first time, um, God gave me a scripture. And I'll just read part of it. It was from Psalm 68, verses 32 to 35. And in it, um, the psalmist says, Sing praise to the Lord, to him who rides in the clouds above, who thunders with mighty voice, whose power is in the skies. You are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. And he knew, God knew what it would take for me to be at peace and feel comfortable. So to me, those words are saying, when I'm up there in that, Mm -hmm. in the clouds, Mm -hmm. in the airplane, he's right there with me. I know he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's in my heart. He's with me all the time. But to know he's there in the clouds too, that to me... He knew it would it would give me peace, and it did. Mm-hmm. So I was able to um, go for that time, and and I really did feel peace the whole time I was in the plane, and uh, and then getting there. My whole purpose in the very first trip was to find a, a girl to sponsor. I knew that uh, what the missionaries were doing in the schools, uh, most of the kids did not stay in very long they couldn't afford it you had to have a uniform and most kids didn't have that so they were looking for sponsors 
um, that would help these kids have uniforms and different things and be able to finish out school. And when they finished sixth grade and they were going to go on to high school, one of the things that this missionary team gave them was a bicycle because high school was a little further away, but they would be able to ride and finish out high school. I think the first year they gave out um, just, just a couple bikes. And in later years, they were given like 30 or 40 bikes. The kids were staying in school. They were able to, and they wanted to go on to high school then. So uh, we did find a, a girl to sponsor. There was a girl that kept catching my eye. when I, she, was, she was there for one of the days that they played, um, they played games, and they had what they call baseball church. So they have church at their place, and then they feed these kids that come from the communities and then they get to play baseball afterwards but they have to sit through church first mm. so they would come and this girl i just when i would look around at all the kids and just wonder like who doesn't have a sponsor she would be looking at me mm. so i asked the missionary lady um does she have a sponsor and she goes she has a lot of brothers and sisters let me see you know she might she might already be sponsored and so she checked it out i said to larry if all of her siblings don't have sponsors, you know we're going to have to sponsor them all. We can't just do mm -hmm. her, right? Right. But all her other siblings either weren't in school yet or they had a sponsor, and she did not. So we became her sponsor for however many years it was. Um, she's graduated now from high school, but we sponsored her. So that was, that was my whole point in going the very first time. And I said I like to teach. And one of the other trips I went down... I said to the, the missionaries, you know, I think the Lord's given me a word for your baseball church. It's, it's just kids that are in the communities that they bus in um, from the schools that they're, they actually teach Bible study in. So last I knew it was like 20 kids. And I said, I think, I think God's given me a word to speak to them. And she's like, that's fine. I'm going to pencil you in. You're going to be the one that teaches them. And I said, it's 20 kids, right? And she's like, no, it's probably 40 40 to 60. I'm like, what? I can't teach 40 to 60 kids. You know, I small groups, I'm okay teaching, but big groups, I get really nervous. Then she's, Larry's like, you know, what's the difference if it's 40 kids? You're saying the same message. Don't even worry about it, you know? So the closer it got, and then we were going to get there, they're like, we're bringing in another community. So there might be 60 to 80 kids. I'm just like, what? So anyways, we get down there, and we set up all these chairs, and they find out that morning there's kids that they don't even know from another community that are coming. There was 124 kids. Mm. And I said, I know each and every one of you are supposed to be here today because God gave me the message, you know, back in three or four months earlier. Mm -hmm. And so all of you are supposed to hear it. And so that was something for me for that time. Um this last time, we had a women's conference. I said, you know, I had to teach part of it. There were 70 women that came that day. We had other things planned out for the whole week. Um, but the thing that means a lot to them and to me is we would go to the store and get uh, food supplies, like rice and beans and oil and different things, and make up the whole bag of food. And then we drive to the base of the community and then we have to walk it to wherever they live, wherever their house is and take them these food bags. And, uh, it makes me really sad to see their houses. I hate to leave. Um, I know the roofs have 
holes in it. They're not bigger than a, a chicken coop. And the boards don't all meet all the way around the side of it, you know. And they have rainy seasons where it's just it's coming in through the roof. It's coming in. They're all Some of the older people are sick then, you mm. know, and things like that. But this last time, there was one woman who had nobody. She was 70. And um, she had a son, but the son moved away and left her. So the people in the community are the ones that look out for her and they help pay her water bill because there is water going to each house. And what it is is just a spigot out front, you know. Um, but when we came back, um, the pastor's wife reached out to everybody on Facebook and we did a little fundraiser there just to see who would help this woman. We put pictures on and said, this is, you know, we want to help her. And we've raised over a thousand dollars to mm. go back and put a new roof on for this lady and fix it up. Mm. I'm not sure, you know, what team is going to do that, but that makes me glad that, you know, because she, when we asked her what can we pray for you about, she said, um, they all say family, but she also said her health. Mm. So, you know, I'll just be glad that she has a better yeah. house to live in. And, yeah. Um, Olivia, another one of our cousins, asked, what mannerisms of your parents did you inherit? So I thought about that question, and I have uh, good and bad mannerisms for each one. So for my mom, um, one of the bad things was she yelled all the time. She just did. She raised her voice. She was very vocal. She... Um, got excited about things and talked very loudly about it. And so, so did I. Mm. And, um, Larry's was all the time, you know, you don't have to yell. The kids can hear you if you just talk. And I'd be like, they don't do it unless you yell, you know? <laughs> so we'd go back and forth with that. But I even had a shirt at the time from when my kids were younger that says, I yell because I care just mm. so they know yeah. <laughs> I'm not just yelling. I yell because I care, but I'm yelling. So, um, when I learned that yelling is a learned behavior hmm. and it can be unlearned, now that's how I try to work on it. You know, there's times, Larry might not think so, but there's times that, you know, I wanted to raise my voice, but I'll pray about it. And then um, I'll, I'll feel it, the anger or whatever just dissipate. Hmm. And then I can talk normal. So I got to learn to do that every single time. But um, <laughs> it's a learned behavior and can be unlearned. But I did get that. I was safe from her. Mm. But a good thing is I remember my mom when she would be faced with some kind of trouble or a storm or something else. The first thing she did was reach for her Bible mm. and ask God. Uh, I know when my dad had a stroke, it's the first thing she did. I know when he passed away. I remember for a long time she sat in her chair and had her Bible open and was reading. Um. So when, when I got my breast cancer report, the doctor gave it to me over the phone. And when I hung up, first thing I did was pick up my Bible because I wanted to hear what God had to say about it. Um, and to me, when a verse jumps off the page, that's the Lord speaking to you. And he said to me, I'm going to give you mercy. You know, I just, I hope everybody hears this and knows that that was what she did. And that is the best thing to do. You know, when you're going to face any trouble, grab your Bible first, see what God has to say about it. So my dad, I would say one of the 
bad mannerisms I picked up from him was he was stubborn um, and shy and reserved. I think I get that from him as well. So to counteract that, I try to do things that take me out of my comfort zone, mm. like teaching in front of people. I don't really want to, but I make myself do it. It does get like maybe a hair easier each time, but still not easy for me. But that's how I work on that. And stubborn, I repent of my rebellion and I ask God to give me a humble and contrite heart all the time. All the time. Because I can be I can be stubborn. So um one good thing, it's gonna sound weird, but he was his mother was German, you know, and so he had her traits, I would say. He never wasted anything. He didn't waste anything. If there was one drop left in that ketchup bottle, we're using it. You're not throwing it away. You, you might even put a little water in so you can get it all out of there. Okay? That, I wouldn't he, say that, you know, he used everything that if something had a use for another time, he kept it. Um, not like hoarding. I wouldn't say that. But there was things that you just didn't throw it away, mm. you know, that he was going to make sure got used up and not thrown away. And I feel like I try to do that as well that I think I get from him. So my dad didn't put this on Facebook, but we were asking him, we always ask him, you know, you have any questions that we might be able to ask your siblings. So, you know, you had already mentioned a lot about your faith and praying and reading the Bible. And my dad mentioned that too. And he asked how much um, of that do you attribute to your mom or dad or other Christian influences in your life? Well, I give a lot of, a lot, a big percentage of the credit to my mom and dad because I believe they laid the foundation mm-hmm. for us. Um, they took us to church. And even though it's Catholic church in the Catholic school, we're taught catechism. So I knew Bible stories. I mean, that was being taught. So that foundation was there. Um my mom was part of what, I don't know if you know, what was called the Catholic Charismatic Movement. It was in the 70s. And she was reading her Bible. And things weren't uh, clear to her and what was being said at church and what she was reading. So she went and had um, a meeting with the priest. And so she's telling him these things. And he said, Maybe you want to be part of another, you know, thing that's that's going on. And I think it was part of this movement. So she went to, she um, gave her life to Christ. And she went to these um, different meetings where they were teaching about the Holy Spirit, which the Catholics have always taught about um, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like they knew it was three, but still one. Mm-hmm. And they taught that. They taught it well, I, I do believe. So she's going to the classes for, um, about the Holy Spirit and was more involved in that. And they gave her a Bible. It was called, it was a New Testament, um, Good News for Modern Man was the name of it. And she had it at her night table. And I was, it was before I was 11 because we moved when I was 11. So we were still in New Jersey. At nighttime when I went to bed, I would go in her room and sneak that Bible take it to my room because I thought if I asked I'd get in trouble I don't know why (laughs) but I would take it to my room and either with a flashlight or the lights from the road I would start I read that thing 
And then I would, before I went to sleep, sneak it back into her room and put it back away, you know. And um, But I wanted to, to do that. And they had um, prayer meetings at the church. And we would ask to go sometimes. And it was down in the basement of the church. You know, they would have these prayer meetings. And so we, I would go with her. And they were singing. They were praying. They were raising their hands, things like that, you know. So I was exposed to that kind of thing, like, early on. And... Then we moved up here. Um, we weren't going to the Catholic school anymore, but we still went to church, and they got us involved in youth group. We had the Bible reading and prayer after supper. Um, they took us to what was called the Glory Barn. I don't know if you ever knew that, but um, the Goods had a barn that they would have a speaker come, and it was mostly testimonies. People would give testimonies, and they would sing and things like that. We had to go almost every week that they had somebody there. Um and then after that, there was what's called um, full gospel meetings, which it was this, along the same line that people would come and give a testimony and then um, pray with you afterwards if, you know, if they had an audience, they would pray afterwards if you wanted. So we, we did all those things. And then um, for Larry and I, we were fortunate to have pastors over us in different churches that let us be doers of the word, not just hearers they would plug us into different things if we wanted to do that. So we taught small groups. I had prayer meetings in my home. You know, I teach at retreats and conferences, going on a mission trip. That was through the church. His very first one to Bosnia was through Sylvania Church, not the one that we're going to now. So, um, But every time you experience God working and doing and healing and loving and correcting, your faith grows. So they really laid the foundation for the faith for me. And my mom was very giving. I think maybe John said that. She always gave. She was always, anybody that came over, she would be giving. You know, my dad would grow the things in the garden. She would be giving some of it away to people. You know, she just always gave. And I learned that from her. Um, Larry was the opposite in his family. Everything was worth something. So if you wanted it, you had to pay for it, you know. Mm. Um, but God changed his heart about that. And the prayer warrior. Um, I was told how my dad used to kneel beside the chair in his bedroom to pray for his kids. When there was something on his heart for any one of us, maybe somebody having trouble or going through a divorce or, you know, whatever it was, he was on his knees. He was quiet about it, but I was told about it, so I knew that was mm -hmm. going on. And then um, when we lived with my mom for that year, she told me uh, three days out of the week she was going to do spiritual warfare up in her bedroom. And I would have to bring her meals and things like that, but she was not to come out. She was to stay, but it was only three days out of the week. So when she said she was going to do spiritual warfare, I thought I'd hear you know, like banging around or yelling going on mm -hmm. up there or whatever, but there wasn't any of that. Um, I know that... She told me one time when she started in the morning with her prayers, she would go right down the line of her kids. So she would start with Kathy, and then she would pray for um, her husband, and then, you know, Michael, and then go to Timmy and pray for Donna, and then Melanie and Laura. And so she went down the whole list of her children, but also grandchildren, that she prayed for every day. So when I was married and I had, you know, a child that, even if I couldn't do it first thing in the morning, 
I would do it at nap time. And I would pray for all of my siblings, my family, you know, my kids mm -hmm. and um, things like that. So I, I learned from her example of that. When we lived there for that year, she also had prayer meeting in her home. There was a lady that came and every Friday or every other Friday uh, they prayed in their home. So um, I went to mops at one of the churches and that is mothers of preschoolers. So once your kid was in school, you couldn't go to mops anymore. Mm -hmm. And there was a group of us that our kids were all in school. So I asked them to come to my house and we prayed then for our kids that were in school for the schools that they were going to, for the teachers and for, you know, our husbands and stuff. So I had a prayer meeting in my home at that time. And then um, for two years now, one of my things that I do at church, I'm prayer coordinator. And I, I run our Tuesday prayer meetings with a great group of ladies. So I do give most of the percentage of that foundation to my parents. We've had... We've had good pastors along the way, too, and we've yeah. learned and grown, but I give them a big chunk of that. Yeah. Uh, before we started, you said that you wanted to add um, some advice to those that are listening, so if you want to share that. My advice is simple and sweet. It is don't ever become unteachable. Don't ever say that, you know, you know it all or you know enough, or you've got a lot of wisdom now under your belt, so you know you don't need to hear anything. Don't ever become unteachable and learn. I plan on learning the rest of my life till I die. Um, I'm forever. What's the next book that we're going to do, and what's the next Bible study that we're going to teach? And, you know, because I learn while I teach it. Mm -hmm. So I never want to stop. And maybe it's the teacher in me that is bringing this out, but I never want to stop. So that's my advice to everyone is don't become unteachable and never stop learning. Yeah. My mom asks, <clears throat> what is your favorite memory you have with your dad and, and or mom? Well, I said my mother would tell stories at the, the supper table about her day, but she would always bring up the stories of times past, and I just loved hearing them. That's why I love this podcast. I love hearing the old stories that other people will bring up. I just I just love it. So um, I loved this story that my mom told about her and my dad and the first date they were supposed to go on. I know Kathy told about the spin the bottle thing, but mm -hmm. that wasn't an official date, so... My dad wanted to ask her out, and he came to the house with a box of chocolates and knocked on the door, you know, and said he wanted to go out with her. And she had already, she already was out on a date with someone else. So I don't know whether he, she didn't know he might ask her out or, you know, didn't know his intent, whatever. Um, she was already out with someone else. So he left and ate that whole box of chocolates by himself. <laughs> He must have told her about it because then she would share that story with us. So my favorite memory after that was usually she's telling us that because for her birthday or Christmas, people would give her a box of Russell Stover's mm -hmm. and she would share it with us. She would let everybody that was sitting there for supper have one. So they would start to pass it. And you know, in a Russell Stover box, there's 20 different kinds right. and you want to see what they are before you just take it. But mm -hmm. there was so many of us that... Um, they had the rule, we're going to say one, two, three, pass it. And that's all the time you get. And you better pick out your piece of candy 
and grab it before the box is gone because it's going to be gone. Yeah. So I knew even if I couldn't find the one that I really liked was the cherry nut one. Mm-hmm. If I couldn't find that one, I knew what caramel looked like. And that was my second choice. So <laughs> if I was taking too long, I was just going to grab a caramel because that box was going to be taken away from you. So that's, that's usually my, my choice is the caramel. Cause that's hard to mess up. You know, yeah. you get into some of the other ones, you're like, Ugh. <laughs> so you wanted to be first in line really. You get to pick which one you want. last. Maybe nobody would be, like, making you pass it fast enough. If you were last, that would be the best. She she did tell one other story that is a favorite memory of mine because I do like that she had um, girlfriends that she could just have a lot of fun with. And she told us back in the day one of her friends had called everybody up and said, come as you are right now. This is a come as you are party. So they called them, like, last second. And so whether you had just taken a shower and your hair was up in a towel or whatever, that's how you would come. But mm-hmm. nobody was like that. So my mom and another friend were like, let's pretend that we were in the shower, right? So they put on bathrobes and whatever, and they had their hair up in a towel, and they go to this lady's house. So there was four of them. So, you know, that in of itself, they had fun doing that. But then they would play cards. So they were playing cards, and at this lady's house, there was a knock on the door, and she went to answer it, and it was a police, policeman at the door. And uh, their son was down at the police station and had to come. And he's coming in to tell her and look. And he sees these women are mm-hmm. in their bathrobes and towels on their head. And my mom was like, I don't know what he thought about what was going <laughs> on there. But, you know, it was just a fun come-as-you-are party. And But then that happened. So um, that was always mm-hmm. a funny story to me. Mm-hmm. So for everyone listening who doesn't know, um, Ari and Amy was the youngest of the 13 siblings. Um, she passed away in 2015 due to uh, cancer. So one of her daughters had posted on in the Rogers Facebook group that um, a question she would like to hear answered um, is, what is your most vivid memory of Aunt Amy? Uh, we didn't get to ask Uncle John and Aunt Kathy that, but you know, starting with you, we'd like to ask you that and then ask everyone okay. else who comes on. So. What would be your most vivid memory with her? Well, I have a few and different points and times in our life that come to my mind. Um, we were in Pennsylvania, and we shared a room. We had bunk beds. It was just the two of us. So at that point in time, my parents were, I don't know if they were doing a date night once a month or you know every Friday. I can't remember how often it was, but... We, most of us kids look forward to that time because they would be away and we would be without them there and it was like freedom, you know. We could have snacks or have the candy jar out or, you know, something like that. So we looked forward to it. I did. I know I did. And then we would go to bed and Amy's laying down in her bed and she's just crying. And I'm like, what is the matter? I miss mommy. I'm like, are you serious? They're gone and this is our time to be free and what are you talking about? You miss her. And, but anyway, I had to <clears throat> console her so she would be able to go to sleep. So lots of times I had to crawl down in there and lay down with her. She had to be like eight years old. <laughs> but she missed, she had a different relationship with my mom, obviously. So she missed her. But I had that, I'll never forget, I had to console her that she, you know, missed her on the just a night that my mother was out. <laughs> um, I have good memories of of working in the consignment shop with with her. 
I worked there just a couple days a week. Uh, it was fun, first of all, because, you know, you open the bag and you have first pick of everything as you're going through <laughs> it because I worked there. But also, um, we we always had a good time. It was always fun. We were always joking around. She was great to work for. Um, Adriana was a baby at the time, and uh, she would bring her in, have her in her car seat and sit her up on the counter where we were looking through stuff. So the three of us, I mean, we would dress Adriana up. Adriana up and stuff that you know was coming through the bags too and whether it was Halloween stuff or you know whatever um, so we always had fun with that but that was that was a good that was a good year I think I worked for her for about a year and then after that um, one time for my birthday we had a day tr shopping trip we'd never done it before but she said she wanted to take me shopping and Old Navy used to have uh, bag days or something where you could put whatever clothes you can fit into a bag you paid just one price for it whatever when they were looking to get rid of things at the end of the season hmm. so that's where she wanted to take me that's what she wanted to do for my birthday that day and I took a picture of us in the car as we were headed out just the two of us and that picture I will post on Facebook every once in a while it was a really good picture of the two of us and it was a fun day and hmm. so I like to remember it and remember what she did for me um, and then everything in her last two years of life is a vivid memory to me. But it's all sad, and I don't want to end on a sad note. <laughs> um, but I was thankful that she let me be a big part of those two years and asked me to help with different things that she couldn't ask. Uh, maybe her family. And... I'm just I'm just grateful uh, that she let me in and let me be part of her last two years. So I'll never forget all that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, um, I think that'll just about do it for this episode. I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to share. If you have any other stories, maybe you'd written down there that just you just one to share. thing, if yeah. I could, because sure. when sure. I was talking about immediate family, I didn't get to talk about my grandkids. So okay. mm. yeah. I just want to just give a little yeah. bit about right. them. Um, I told you that you would love what I had to say about Warren because right now he loves sports mm -hmm. and he'll watch football and he'll watch hockey because he, mm. he follows the Devils, New Jersey Devils. Mm -hmm. But for football, you know, 49ers and he likes Penn State. I had to buy him a Penn State shirt for Christmas mm -hmm. this year with his favorite player, number 15. Um, so I did get that for him. But every time I see him, he's telling me, so and so won, and that, so I have to keep up on this football mm -hmm. stuff. So I, I don't know why he chose me to talk to about it because I'm like, you should be watching this with Uncle Larry and or with Pop Pop and just, um, yelling at the TV screen with him because yeah. you know he loves right. this. He loves football now all of a sudden, and but he'll tell me. Uh, one day I picked him up and I said, "So how are you?" And he goes, "Good and bad." I said, "Well, what was good?" And it was before Christmas. He said, we had a party at school today, so I got prizes, you know, these little things that his teacher gave him or whatever. So that was good. Well, what was bad? He said, the devil's loss last night. <laughs> and he told me the score and he told me who it was against and all that, you know. And that, for this little seven-year-old to tell me, you know, that's that's the bad part of it when his team doesn't win. And um, it's, just, it's just funny that, and I love it that he shares that. Listen, Oren. Oren. <laughs> Yep. yep. It'll be like that forever. All right. <laughs>
You'll be 25 years old and your team will lose and you'll... It'll be a bad day. <laughs> be upset for the rest of your life. So Bo, uh, he loves animals and tractors. He is a different personality than, huh. than Oren is, but... Uh, and he loves to work, and so when he takes the little battery-operated tractor out, you know, with the little um, trailer on the back, he's picking up things in the yard. He's taking the sticks to the fire pit. I mean, he's working it. Warren was just, like, riding it for fun, you know, and so he's just a different personality, and and he's a lot of fun. And then Joelle was just born in November, and, of course, she's the cutest girl ever, but... I can't wait to find out what her personality is and just see how different um, she is, too. When I take the boys home, I'll pick Oren up from school and drop him off. Oren is saying to me, come on, Gammy, play basketball with me. Can you sh- shoot some hoops or whatever? You know, because that's his thing is sports. Mm-hmm. And then and Bo's like, can you come down to the goat pen and see the baby goat? You know, because yeah. that's his thing. So um, just their personalities are just really cool to me so i just wanted to talk about them for a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah um i think we asked we asked everybody else um who they might want to have on i think we already have uncle robert for next week but is there anybody you'd be interested in hearing well like i said i love all the stories so yeah. i can't wait to hear all of them mm-hmm. um but i i think i am more a little more interested in hearing richard and james and i don't mm. know are they waiting until last because i don't know we just I think our uh, plan for that was uh, get as many as we can and then save those if save somebody, those. you know, we right. kind of have them waiting. Right, if we can't get somebody on, but yeah. I know, we got to yeah. get to them eventually. We can't just, yeah. Can't just ignore them, them just because we already know them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I can't wait to hear everyone, so. Yeah. Well, I think that'll about do it. So thank you, Aunt Jean, for agreeing to come on and telling Thanks. us your side of things. Thanks for having me and listening. Hope yeah. you had a good yeah. time and enjoyed your coffee. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Right. I did enjoy my coffee. Yeah. It was good. All right. All right. Thank well, you. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and uh, we hope you tune in next week. <laughs> <laughs>